And thank you for that, Dwayne and Jamie and Emily. We will be praying for you over these next few days. They are facing a lot of changes, and we want to pray for that. Uh, and in a sense, we all are facing days of change and kind of questioning and wondering what's going on. I mean, this last week has been a weird week as far as COVID-19 goes. We started the week with schools reopening and kids all heading back, but still under a stay-at-home order. So that was a little bit weird. It was weird for me seeing a whole lot of kids out in the street and everything, yet still trying to figure out how much you have to stay at home things. Uh, watching numbers kind of decline, and yet there's a third wave coming, they tell us, and how they're balancing all those kind of things out. Late Friday, the news finally came out that we're moving back into red zone. And for us as a church, that, that's fantastic. I mean, it just means that we can meet back in person again. But you kind of go, what else has changed? What does red actually mean? Is there anything that we look forward to? We can still kind of maybe go shopping a little bit more or dining available, but it still feels like we're being told simply to stay at home. I mean, is, is anyone else getting tired of this whole thing? I mean, that's, that's what COVID living is all about. It's an emotional weariness. It seems endless. It's physically taxing. I mean, having kids at home and doing homeschooling and all those kind of things, working from home, different routines, all of that just wears us out physically, emotionally. And we get emotionally and physically tired. We know spiritually we can start to be affected as well. That spiritually we can get run down and we start to feel more disconnected from God because we're also disconnected from each other. Is anyone else frustrated during this time? You know, frustrated with the changing rules and the protocols. Not sure and uh, what's coming next or what's changing and having to read. I mean, I, I rely on Dwayne. Dwayne loves to read all the rules and he listens and I just go in his office and just kind of go, so what's happening, Dwayne? Tell me what I need to know. You maybe don't have that kind of resource. I have a great resource and Dwayne doing that. So you've got to figure it out. You've got to know what the rules are, and then you've got to get your mask ready, and you've got to be there. Or, I mean, to know at a store. Have you, have you arrived at a store just to find that, thinking that it was open and it's closed, so that's frustrating, or arriving and they've gone to curbside only, and curbside only, and so then you phone and you realize it's only online ordering. But, I mean, that doesn't help me when I'm trying to fix the tap at home, and I need that part right now. I mean, it's frustrating, isn't it? Trying to figure all those things out. Or is anyone else experiencing more stress? I mean, just the stress of trying to work life out right now. Trying to figure out our, our social life. What's my bubble? Who's in my bubble? And are, are bubbles even a thing anymore? I mean, I think my bubble burst at some point. I don't know what happened to it, but I mean, it disappeared. And I've got to try to figure that out again. How do you make life at home work? Or how do you make work at home work while you're trying to make life at home work? I mean, all of those things just add the levels of stress to our lives, and it, it gets weary, it gets tiresome. Or is anybody else simply confused? The conflicting news that keeps coming out. I mean, news of the, the new strain that's happening, a third wave maybe coming at the end of February. Uh, you know, lots of people saying you can't trust the numbers. Other people, we've got to trust the numbers. I mean, just how bad is this whole thing really? Or is it going to be worse than what it is? I mean, I find the information gets confusing. And, and as I hear all that, is anyone else concerned during this time? 
mean, I get concerned about the many layers of conflicting, conflicting values and how this whole thing gets handled. I mean, mental health versus physical health. I mean, as we shut stuff down so we can take care of those that are the swelling numbers of COVID people, we learn that those with mental health issues are suffering even more and that there's a big rise in mental health issues. There's some stats that talk about suicide being, as, being higher than it's ever been. How do we weigh those two things out? Or as we shape everything to protect us from COVID, we learn that cancer patients are having to delay their diagnosis and delay their treatments. And so there's more suffering there, so we're trying to balance those values out. Economically, how do we balance it out? You know, the big stores versus the local little guys. Little guys close, big store. Those kind of conversations. And we get concerned, we get confused, I get frustrated. If I had any hair left, I'd be pulling it out. Right? Because all of this stuff just weighs. And if nothing else, let me just offer a collective sigh. Oh, I mean, isn't that how we feel some days? My wife catches me doing that too often these days. She kind of will be doing something in the kitchen, and she just hears me kind of, she's, are you okay? I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. It's just, you know, taking a breath, taking a breather, figuring out what's going on. And just trying to move ahead through all of these things. For some people, it's more than a sigh. For some people, it's more of an ah, trying to get through all this kind of stuff. And I bring all of that up, not to kind of rub our noses in it this morning. I mean, you all know that, but to simply remind us that we are all in this thing together. That we are all facing these kind of extremes in our emotions and in our tiredness and trying to work it all out. And as we're in it together, I'm inviting you into a series of sermons that we're going to start today. It's going to carry on for the next two weeks. Derek and Marcio are going to pick it up. We've entitled it simply, Living in COVID Times. And how do we respond as Christ followers to how these weird days surround us? And what can we do to help protect ourselves, to build ourselves up, and to find a spiritual life and dynamic that God would call us to? We're going to do that by taking us to three different psalms over the next three Sundays. So today I invite you to turn with me to Psalm 143. 143, it's a psalm of David. It's interesting because in the book of Psalms, there's a group of eight psalms at the very end of the book that kind of are all kind of the last ones of David. And 143 is the sixth of these. And it's written out of some of the events in his life in which he feels frustrated, he feels crushed, he feels far from God's care and guidance. It's written for one of his great sigh days, one of those ah kind of days in the life of David. It's a psalm of lament with a healthy dash of penitence. We'll get to that in a few minutes. Lament, I think, is a good place for us to be in as we live through these COVID times. Lament is defined this way. It is a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. Lament. So when I lament, I'm passionately, it's a word of emotion, it's a word of that heartfelt experience of grief and of sorrow. It's not complaint, although probably complaint is often a part of lament. It's a complaint in the sense of things are not the way they should be. Things are not as I desire them to be. 
But it's not just that. It's not just wallowing in, in seeing things bad. It's a recognition of our losses, of our pains, of our longing for better days. Lament is a recognition that we've lost hope. Back in April, Duane did a sermon out of the book of Lamentations. And as he was talking about this, he had a great quote that has really stuck with me. It comes from Mark Vrogop. I'm not sure if I'm saying his name right. And I didn't even get around to asking Duane where the book came from. Duane's sitting over there. You're wondering why I'm looking there. Um, but this is the quote, and just listen to it again. You'll see it on your screen, I hope. You might think that lament is the opposite of praise. It isn't. Instead, lament is a path to praise as we are led through our brokenness and disappointment. Did you hear that little point? It's a path. Lament is not a moment. Lament is a path. It's a path to something else. And then this last part of it is what really struck me. The space between brokenness and God's mercy is where this song is sung. Think of lament as the transition between pain and promise. Lament is a space. Lament comes between brokenness and praise. It's a transitioning. It's helping us to move from the sorrow, from the place that we find ourselves in, but it's really helping us move towards promise. It's helping us move towards something that is hoped for and that is out there for us. The space between brokenness and God's mercy, of the realization of God's place that he has in our hearts. And Psalm 23 dwells in that in-between space. Psalm 143 is this lament of David. But as I start, be warned, this isn't a psalm that resolves itself. This isn't a psalm that's going to take us from sorrow all the way to praise. It's not David writing this hymn and finally giving us the resolution and how God resolved all of this. In a sense, David is still there in that space between. He's living in the, in the transition. He sees the hope on the horizon. He knows where he wants to get to, but he's not there yet. And as I read this psalm, I think, God, I am often in that space, and I think I'm there right now. I'm not there yet. I mean, we haven't resolved COVID. We haven't got through it all yet. But God, we're, we're moving. I mean, every day I still need to get the mask out. I still need to put it on. There's still some tiredness. There's still frustrations. But there is a hope that can be seen. So if you've got a Bible handy, I hope you do turn to Psalm 145. It'll be easier for you to kind of follow it in your own scripture. We're going to have a number of verses on the screen, of course, to help you. But I think a psalm like this, it's kind of good to have the whole thing in front of you. And I'm going to try to outline it a little bit for you, and then you can read it through again for yourself a little after we finish up. The psalm breaks down nicely into two parts, verses 1 to 6, and then verses 7 to 12. And if you remember your old English classes, uh, you remember you study in poetry, they talk about strophes. There's two strophes in this uh, poem that David wrote. It's got these two major parts, and it follows an A-B-B-A pattern. Is that bringing back some nightmares for anybody? Uh, it does for me. English was the bane of my life in high school. But anyway, A-B-B-A. But I have to admit, it's amazing how helpful I found it reading some scripture. What it simply means is, is that there's a pattern to this, and A at the beginning and A at the end simply means this. It starts and ends with the same kind of theme. 
And so I'm going to do that for us, to take a quick look at these bookends to the psalm. So verses 1-2 read this, Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to my cry for mercy. In your faithfulness and righteousness, come to my relief. Do not bring your servant into judgment, for no one living is righteous before you. So he starts off with this cry to God, Hear me, O God, in mercy. And then down to verse 11. For your name's sake, Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring me out of trouble. In your unfailing love, silence my enemies. Destroy all my foes, for I am your servant. As you read those two sections, there's a few words that get repeated that really help us to realize where David's at. Righteousness and faithfulness. He talks about in the first part of the first strophe. And as he ends this psalm, he's talking about God's righteousness and his unfailing love. These are the great themes of the confidence of a servant, which is the other repeated word there. In the first section, David, it says, do not bring your servant into judgment. And the last words of this psalm are, I am your servant. See, these are the words of a servant coming before God in the confidence of his faithfulness and his righteousness. And all this has to do with God's covenant relationship. It all has to do with God's relationship with people of faith. This is the gospel at its heart. By grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, we have the gift of eternal life and we dwell in the unfailing love of God. And we may get weary, we may get tired in life, we may feel like we are separated from God by sin, but He will forgive. He is faithful, He is righteous, and His grace will preserve us, and He will lift us up. This is gospel, this is us coming to God who has saved us and brought us into being as His family and as His people. And this is the confidence of lament. It's where profitable Lent lament will begin for us. A lament that is going to move us. A lament that's not just going to get mired in the bog of sorrow and guilt and, and the weight of all the weighs upon us, but rather helps move us and transition us and lifts us up out of these pits. He will forgive. He will preserve. He will lift us up. And this is where his lament begins. And it begins with this penitent note in the first section. Listen to my cry for mercy. Do not bring me into judgment, for I know no one living is righteous before you. It's the cry of one who knows their eternal place with God is not found in their own righteousness. It's not found in what they have done, but rather in the righteousness of God, in our righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. And it's in this gospel we keep our confidence alive with a repentant life that we come before God and we keep our accounts short. We say, don't let me fall into judgment, Lord. I know I'm not. There's no one living who is righteous before you, but I am righteous in Christ. So I can cry out that you will listen to my cry for mercy. This is the place where we need to live in a life of repentance, a life of confession. And that's where Marcio is going to take us next week as he deals with a confessional life and what that is to be cleansed and pure before God. But this is where David begins and just in some brief statements with this penitent kind of life, knowing that God will lift us up 
And he says, hear my cry, listen to my cry for mercy. Don't bring me into judgment. Sin may not be the cause of your lament, but it always dwells close enough that we need to keep short accounts with it. And the difference of the second strophe ending, A, is that it ends with the other side of penitence. Penitence is that repentance coming before God. But once we are forgiven, once we know God's presence, we need His preserving in my life. And so you see the other end of the psalm, Lord, preserve my life. Bring me out of trouble. Silence my enemies. Destroy all my foes. For I am your servant. He starts that by saying, and it's for your namesake, Lord. See, we need to identify afresh that we are, we are God's people. And the Lord's reputation is tied to us. And if we're going to keep his reputation, if we're going to keep his righteousness front and center, oh, how much I need his help. How much I need for him to resolve in my life the issues of sin, but more than that, the issues of sorrow and pain and draw me into hope and into love. And so in this psalm of lament, it begins with penitence and it ends with that cry of preservation. But in between, he's grappling. In between is this lament. And it's where we need to be. We need to affirm our place in Christ. Are you saved? you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, then you can come before him and know that there is hope, there is light at the end of this tunnel. And you can call to him to help bring you through it. So the heart of lament is found in verses 3 to 6. David just puts it out before God. Here's how it is. Look what he says. The enemy pursues me. He crushes me to the ground. He makes me to dwell in the darkness like those long dead. So my spirit grows faint within me. My heart within me is dismayed. I remember the days of long ago. I meditate on all your works and consider what your hands have done. I spread out my hands to you. I thirst for you like a parched land. This is lament. This is saying, this is where I find myself, God. David says the enemy pursues him. He can't get away from this thing. It's relentless. It's crushing him to the ground. He's saying, I'm beaten, Lord. In fact, I feel like I'm living in the darkness of a grave with the dead. That is a low place. I mean, has he got COVID? Have you ever have you felt like that? I mean, the, the stories of people living at home and in isolation and just finding this great weight of the stresses of these days beating them down, feeling like they live in the place of the dead. The picture of depression. He's crushed. He's living in the dark, his spirit growing faint, his hope, his hope is fleeing, his heart is dismayed. He's beaten. He's alone. It's the passionate sorrow of lament. It's that place between pain and praise. His sorrow, he identifies it. He confesses it. He feels it. He expresses it. And that's what we need to understand about lament. Lament is taking hold of all those things of where we are, of what we're grieving, of what we've lost. And finally, and also what we are missing. Look how he deals with his lament in verses 5 to 6. 
there's five, there's three action words, sorry, in verses five to six. He says, I remember, I meditate, and I consider what you have done. I remember the days of long ago. He says, I remember, we have a history, God. There's a, there's a place that you've had of love and grace. God, I meditate on your works. And this can be the idea of either a theological meditation, meditating on the works of God, of grace and compassion, of power, of direction. Or it might just be a practical reflection on God's provision of his protection. How has God moved? David says as part of his lament, he is remembering his history with God. He's meditating, God, these, I've seen you work this way. These are the ways you've helped me. These are the things that you've done. And he finishes by saying, and I consider, I mull over, I look in my own heart and my own life for a sense of how you've been at work in me, how you've changed me, how you've blessed me, how you have demonstrated to me the grace that, that has refined my heart and drives me forward and gives me a hope and anticipation. I consider all of these things, Lord. See, that's part of lament. Part of lament is not just being and saying, here's how I'm feeling, here's the sorrow I've experienced, but it's also taking time to, in a sense, lament what you've had with God. To lament and say, God, I'm missing this. We see that because how he responds to this. Verse 6, his response is, I spread out my hands to you, Lord. I, I lift my hands and I say, God, I need you. My soul thirsts for you like, like a parched land. Like the desert needs rain is what my soul needs right now. You see, this remembering and considering is intensifying the longing of his heart for God's presence. The longing of his heart for what God needs to accomplish in his life. And sometimes to know what we need, we need to be reminded of what's missing. Do you get that? To know what I need, I need to be reminded of what's missing. And this is what David's done. He's gone to God and said, God, I've remembered, I've meditated, I've considered, and I remember what's missing. We can make that just a simple prayer. God, remind me. Remind me, open my heart again. Remind me of all that I'm missing in you right now. And as I'm reminded, as I lift my hands to God and just say, oh God, I spread my hands out. I need the refreshing rain of your love and your presence in my life. It leads to petition, which is B, B. <laughs> this lament and petition, they're bookends within the heart of the psalm. And so his petition is verses 7 to 10. Answer me quickly, Lord. I'm fading fast. Here's my prayer. Verses 7 to 10. Answer me quickly. My spirit, spirits fails. Do not hide your face from me, or I will be like those who go down to the pit. Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I've put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go, for to you I entrust my life. Rescue me from my enemies, Lord, for I hide myself in you. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. And may your good spirit lead me on level ground. 
I'll boil that down just for you in five words. What's his petition? He cries out for deliverance. I'm fading fast, Lord. Answer me quickly. Verse 9, rescue me. Lord, I need you to move in my life in a way that I sense how you are carrying me, how you're bringing me out. And then he asks for God's presence. Don't hide from me. And what a striking contrast, he meant, sir. I'll be like those who go down to the pit. I'll be like those who are destined for hell, God, separated from you. God, don't hide. I want your presence. Make yourself known to me, which is really the next petition. He says, may your word be new every morning for me. God, give me a fresh revelation. Remind me who you are that I might understand in a new way your presence, that I might see in your word your grace, that I might understand how you protect, I might understand how you provide, how you can lift me up. And Lord, give me direction. Show me the way. Just show me. Help me to understand this is a path. Take it. Walk on it. And that can be different for every situation. There might be something you need to do or someone you need to see or something that you need to bring into your life, a a discipline or a new practice. And to help that happen, he says, and teach me. (laughs) Teach me, Lord. I think that's the word motivation. Lord, I need motivation. I'm tired. I'm weary. I'm worn out. Would you teach me your will? Teach me to do your will. It's more than just teach me your will, Lord. Teach me how to accomplish it each day. And as he makes those requests, each time it comes with the reminder of his confidence. He says, help me, for I've put my trust in you, in verse 8. I've entrusted my life to you. I hide myself in you. And ultimately says, for you are my God. This is his confidence in the midst of his Levant. You are my God. And the bookend of that statement is the very last phrase of the psalm, and I am your servant. This is very much the covenantal promise of God, isn't it? I will be your God, and you will be my God. This is where lament is going to take us. This is where lament is going to end. It's the promise of new covenants, the promise that we have in Jesus Christ. He is our God. We are his people. First Peter puts it this way, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. In that space between brokenness and mercy, I need to know afresh the unchanging foundation. God is my God. I am His child. And in that relationship, all will be right. All will be worked out. All will bring a fruition in my life that I may not understand now. I only know the pain, the frustration, the confusion. But God, you are my God and I am your child. You see, the point of the lament is that when we lift our soul up to God, He lifts our souls up. (laughs) 
When I lift my soul to God, he meets me and he says, yes, child, come, come, come in further. Hope begins to be birthed in the place between pain and praise. Last Tuesday night is interesting in our prayer group that we have on Tuesday night, Sarah Van Hardingsfeld, this very thought she was she was brought. She was talking about some of the tiredness she had, and a friend just talked to her about when we put our hope in Jesus Christ, it's a secure hope. It's a hope of fulfillment. It's a hope of expectation. It's not a wishing kind of hope. For Jesus Christ is secure. That's where lament takes us. It takes us this hope that carries us through, a hope that sees beyond all that we are in now. So, lament your losses, your sorrows, your frustrations, but expect them as you lament to point them back to your ultimate place of rest, Jesus Christ. And in Him is where you find your confidence and your hope. And we move forward through these things together as a people who represent God in the world. For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve our lives, rescue us, Deliver us and bring us through that we might shine your light in all of this world. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for psalms like this. I thank you for David as he laid bare his heart before us, as he lamented. But also I thank you for his faith and his understanding of the covenant love that you have for him. And I thank you that this can be ours in Jesus Christ. And God, I pray that when we find ourselves lost, we will simply wait. We will mull over. We will lament. We will meditate, remember, and consider. And as we wait, that you will meet us, that you will lift us up in all things. Amen.